Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. It is an honor to to stand here and to worship with you this morning. Can I just say, you sound awesome from there. When I'm up here, it's harder to hear, but man, that praise, it got me going this morning. Um, how many out there have been watching the Olympics? Anybody? I know, I know viewership is a little lower this year. Everything on demand, everything we can stream, uh, you know, it, it's, but the Olympics are still pretty cool. Um, I grew up watching the Olympics with my family, and I don't know about you, but every time I watch them, I wish I could do what those athletes do. Like in my little girl mind, I wanted nothing more than to put on a spangly leotard and, you know, glide across the ice. Now, unfortunately, I don't have those skills. They make it look so easy. Me, when I'm on the ice, I've got a hoodie, I've got like three pairs of socks, and I just, I kind of glide to the exit because I still haven't figured out how to stop without falling over. So there went my ice dancing uh, career. I'm not an ice skater, but I'm a, I'm a moderately successful ballroom dancer. And what started is me, kind of similar to little nine-year-old me watching the, the girls spinning on the ice in the Olympics, what started is me on the sidelines watching everybody else going, oh, I wish I could twirl and spin and do all those jumps and tricks that everybody else can do. After years of workshops and coaching, some one-on-one -on -one, uh, lessons, and lots and lots and lots of practice and occasionally looking stupid, it turned into a skill set that is now so second nature, I don't even have to think about what I'm doing. If you were to call me and one of my dance partners up on the stage right now and say, hey, we're going to play some music and we want you to dance, no problem. We do it. Plenty of confidence, no no fear. Now, if you ask Nick to come up here and dance with me right now in front of all y'all, probably be a different story. He doesn't, he wouldn't have the same confidence. In fact, he'd probably, I love you, babe, but he'd probably be terrified. It's not something that he practices on a regular basis. It's not a skill he has confidence in. On the other hand, you ask him to play defense on your flag football team, a man is a beast. You ask me, and you get a ball or like a 350-pound linebacker coming at me, I'm more likely to do this. I'm terrified of the ball. I'm not afraid to, to admit it. Um, I don't have the confidence he has in sports because he's practiced, and I haven't. In life, as in sports and dancing and other skills, I think we all have situations and circumstances where we are most confident. And by the same token, we have situations where we lose confidence or we lack it altogether. And I find this is true in my walk with God as well. There are moments when I'm more confident facing trials, trusting God is with me, standing up the way he asks me to. And there are times that I cave and respond with fear or even selfishness. I bow instead to what the world expects or even demands. I know some of you have heard the story this past fall, the owner of the building we were living in decided to sell the building, and we had 60 days to find a new place to live. 60 days 
in the worst real estate market as a buyer or a renter that I have ever seen. I mean, we were on every app, every website. We had people that were, they were paying deposits on places, sight unseen, aside from what they saw on Zillow or Trulia. And let me tell you that filters and fisheye lenses are really generous to some of the places that are out there. <laughs> and there I was, looking at the real estate market, watching the clock tick down on the deadline for us moving out. And even with all the evidence of God's provision in the past, I mean, we came out here a week before we landed with our moving truck, and we had three options to sign, to, buy, to, to live in. And I had that in my history, and all these other moments in my past I could look to and point to God's provision. Even with all of that, I struggled to maintain confidence this past fall that he would provide the best option to live for both what our current needs were and what the future would bring. My prayers, to be honest, were straight-up complaints tied off with a please help us to find some place to live right now, amen. <laughs> I kid you not, it's how they went. And I know, or at least I hope, that I'm not alone in this. That we've all faced hard and scary situations that demand we choose how we respond. What about at work, when somebody higher up chooses to act unethically, or do something a little sketchy, and they, they want you to join in, or they want you to look the other way. There's situations at school where a group chooses to make fun of somebody, and you either have to join in or risk being the next person they make fun of. Sometimes it's when we've lost a job, and the bills are coming due, or when a loved one is sick, or injured and we want them to be fully restored to health. Or how about every, what, five seconds on social media? Somebody's gonna make a nasty or insulting comment about what we believe, how we vote, what we look like, what football team we cheer for. <laughs> Breach. All these situations demand a response and we have a choice whether we will bow to what the world demands or stand up as God asks. And the truth is it takes practice to develop the confidence to stand up when we're faced with something difficult, unknown, or scary, especially when it comes to our spiritual lives. So this morning we're actually going to meet three men in the book of Daniel, chapter 3, who've had a lot of experience and practice, or excuse me, they have a lot of practice and experienced an incredible opportunity to display their faith and confidence in God in a way that we can all start practicing today. So first, just like Netflix, we're going to go back and have a little previously on recap. In Daniel chapter 1, this is where we first met Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they were selected from a pool of captives from Judah because of their rank, their intelligence, and quite frankly, their good looks. The king ordered them to be fed with rich meats, other foods, that were, against, uh, that were considered unclean to the Jewish faith. And they all had a chance to practice their confidence in God's provision and protection in this moment because to refuse the king's food could mean death. Daniel asked that they be fed veggies and water for 10 days and then compared against the other candidates who were eating the richer food. And sure enough, after 10 days, they were healthier than any of the other young men. And at the end of their training, all four of them were placed in very high positions in the court. 
Daniel 2 introduces us a little more to King Nebuchadnezzar's volatile personality. Dude was minorly unhinged. King has a dream, and he wants his wise men and magicians to not only interpret it, but tell, them, tell him what it was. And they all say, this is nothing that a man can do. And King Nebuchadnezzar responds, you know, very properly, eh, kill them all. When the guards come for Daniel, because he's one of those wise men, he asks for a little more time to fulfill King Nebuchadnezzar's request. And he and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all pray for mercy. Because they're all on the chopping block at this point. And then they go to sleep for the night. And that's when God reveals the dream and the interpretation to Daniel. And he tells the king, who then declares that Daniel's God must be the greatest of gods and the Lord over kings to reveal some, the, such a thing. And he gives Daniel and his three friends a big promotion in his court. So through both of these chapters, we've already seen four exiles who are, who are in a foreign land and yet are determined to be true to their God, even though they work for the government, which wasn't easy given the beliefs and practices of the Babylonian people of that time. So that catches us, catches us up to chapter 3. And I'm going to invite Tim Osterhaus to come up here and read us what happens in chapter 3. morning. Is it working? All right. Daniel chapter 3, the image of gold in the blazing furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and six cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship immediately will be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and people of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true? 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up. Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into this blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods and, or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that were, we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way." Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Man, where's the harp, the pipe, the zither? Come on, where, where was that going on this morning? <laughs> Did you notice some interesting similarities to chapter 2? We've got another statue that many Bible scholars agree is linked to the statue from King Nebuchadnezzar's dream that Daniel received not only the uh, information about, but the interpretation of. The statue in the dream had only a head of gold, which represented Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. This statue is made entirely of gold. And a lot of scholars agree that he did this deliberately from, to make this image 
gold from top to bottom to symbolize that his own reign and authority was never going to end. Obviously in direct contradiction to what God already declared. And now that he's got this golden image set up, he's telling everyone that when they hear that long laundry list of, of musicians start playing, they need to bow down to this image, to this kingdom, to this idol. He's invited the most important people in all his provinces to be there for this dedication, to bow down to the image when the orchestra plays. So you probably weren't surprised, based on the previous two chapters, to hear that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow down. And whether or not you were like Jason and saw the little flanagram story in the kids' church with four men in the fire, based on those last two chapters that we've been studying, you probably figured something was going to happen that would keep Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego somehow protected. And it's true, these three men tied up, still wearing all their highly flammable clothing, they were thrown into a fire that was so hot that the soldiers who tossed them in died from exposure to that heat. And yet these three men were not consumed. They were walking around. Some scholars even believe they were singing, and the fire wasn't touching them. Not only that, as King Nebuchadnezzar looked on in amazement, he saw a fourth man in the fire, someone he said, looks like a son of the gods. And when the king called the three men out of the furnace, they emerged healthy and whole. They didn't even smell like smoke. I don't know about you, I spend 10 minutes in front of a fire pit, I smell like a campfire for three days. They didn't smell like smoke at all. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced a huge trial with full confidence in God because he promised to always be with them. <laughs> what a heck of a story, huh? Were, were you worried at all that they might be turned into crispy critters? Or, or maybe you've heard this passage enough times, in enough ways and enough retellings, that you knew God would show up at just the right moment to save them. It's kind of easy to trust that things will work out when you already know the end of the story, right? I mean, it's like seeing the character of a TV show in mortal peril. But you know, there's still four more episodes and a whole other season to binge on Netflix, so he's going to be okay, right? Or when we were in North Carolina and did youth group on Sunday evenings, Nick would record the Broncos game so that he could go home and watch it after the fact. He never wanted to know the scores because he always wanted to experience the game in real time, experience it as it happened. Me, I would check the score so I knew what kind of night to expect. <laughs> And so for me, it was a little hard to react to the game the same way because I knew how it was going to end, for better or for worse. Mostly worse. Mostly worse. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, I'm a Bears fan. <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the game in real time. They didn't know the final score. They didn't know who would quote-unquote win. They just believed in God. They knew he could save them if he chose to. There was certainly power and precedence to believe that he could. And yet they also accepted that God's plan might not have included their earthly survival. Check out what they say in verses 17 and 18. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, 
The God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. That is some radical confidence in their God. Did you hear the key phrase in there? But even if he does not. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego demonstrated not only an understanding and appreciation of God's power, but also submission to God. They didn't doubt God's ability, but they also knew that they had to do what was right, even if God didn't do what they expected or hoped. They would accept being thrown into the furnace because they could not and would not bow down to anything or anyone but God. What God did after that was up to him, and they trusted that he would do what was needed for the time and the circumstance. They could face this trial with full confidence in God because they knew that no matter what, he would be with them. We all face fiery furnaces everywhere we turn at work. Maybe not literally, although this morning I wouldn't have minded one. It was a little cold. <laughs> but we face them in our lives, don't we? At work, at school, with family and friends, in relationships, on social media. And in those moments, we have a choice in how we face those fiery furnaces. Do we give in and bow to the pressure? Or do we keep our confidence in God, no matter how, no matter what he might choose to do in that moment? Because let's be honest, a lot of us pray that God show up right then when we're standing in front of the fiery furnace boldly proclaiming that God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we'll do as he commands. Because that seems like the opportune moment to intervene, right? I've said the right prayer, now come and get me out of this mess. That's how a lot of times how I pray. But, you know, surprise, God works on his timing, not ours. And you'll notice what happens to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego instead. God allowed them to fall into the fire. And still they maintained their confidence in God because they knew that no matter what, he had promised he would be with them. I think, for me, that's probably one of the hardest details to swallow. Because so often we want to confine God to how we think he should act and intervene in a situation. He should heal our loved ones, fix our marriages, provide our for our physical needs the way that we want him to, and open the doors in, in our time and in our ways. And it's harder to stand in front of the fiery furnace and confidently proclaim, but even if he does not, while accepting, you may still end up in the fire. Even if he doesn't heal my child, even if he doesn't save my job, even if he doesn't restore my marriage, even if he doesn't rescue my family member from addiction, even if he doesn't, I will not turn to another God. I will only worship him. A faith that can confidently proclaim, even if he does not, is one that trusts that God knows better than we do. And while God did allow Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to fall into the fire, he didn't leave them to fend for themselves. 
He kept his promise to be with them no matter what. Let's take another look at what happened in verses 24 and 25. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Though the three men went into the fire, God didn't abandon them. Even in the face of adversity, of flames that should have eaten through their clothing and consumed their bodies in an agonizing death, God was with them, walking around in the fire with them. It shouldn't be surprising to us. It is, but it shouldn't be. After all, God has been promising his people, Israel, that he will be with them for a long time. In Deuteronomy 31.8, Moses reminds the tribes of Israel what God has promised. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or nor forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. And in Joshua 1.9, God tells Joshua directly, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And we have that same assurance today that the Israelites had so many centuries ago. We can be confident in the face of trials because God has promised to be with us no matter what. In fact, we have additional assurance through the gospel that Jesus is always with us. Take a look in Matthew 28, 16 through 18. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Jesus gave his disciples a mission, but they weren't sent out alone. He promised to be with them. Not only that, he promised to be with them, what was the word? Always. Not just until tomorrow, not until next week, not until things got tough, not until he got bored and decided to go hang out with somebody who did this Jesus thing better than they did. Always. The whole of every day as they lived it. They could face whatever came with confidence because Jesus promised to always be with them no matter what. Now I know we've all had those fiery furnace moments where the world tries to get us to live by its will instead of God's. And a lot of times in those moments, and I'm guilty of it too, we pray that God will keep us from suffering rather than keeping us through suffering. Because as we've seen, God sometimes allows us to fall into the fire. But he doesn't leave us there alone. So how do we develop that same confidence in God that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had when they faced the furnace, that no matter what, he would be with them? How do we 
build those skills so they become such a natural go-to habit. Just like with developing any skill, whether it's figure skating or dancing or football or what have you, it starts with practice. Practice being in the presence of Jesus. Being in his presence isn't just reserved for Sunday mornings or bedtime prayers. You can be in the presence of God when you're doing anything. Washing dishes, driving the kids to school, getting coffee at work, walking the halls at school. And you can start by maintaining a focus on praise. Remember earlier when I said that last fall when we were trying to find a place, my prayers were 99.8% complaint with an amen tacked on at the end? Problem with that was my complaining was a one-way communication that kept all the focus on the circumstance. I just I kept staring at that fiery furnace until I was so blinded by the flames that I couldn't see God. If I'd chosen instead to praise God for what he would provide during that season, the focus would have been on him instead. My prayers would have invited him in to what was going on in my life. So I'm going to challenge you and me to start turning worry into praise. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're already doing in this situation, for the answer you will provide. Thank you for your promise to always be with me, no matter what. Practicing the presence of God is about making your life experience into a prayer because nothing in our lives is exempt from surrender to Jesus. Because when you can invite him into the everyday stuff, it becomes a habit to invite him everywhere, even in the fiery furnace moments. And when you practice being in the presence of Jesus in the normal, everyday moments, those small steps add up to a big faith and the confidence in Christ to stand up in front of the fiery furnace and say with full conviction, but even if he does not. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.